You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you are black or not black, that is okay, and this is a bonus episode, and I apologize for doing that, but it is a bonus episode, and uh, the reason I say bonus is I was supposed to be back next week with Razor Blood Tears by S.A. Cosby, Sean A. Cosby, and I'm going to be, but I had read... For no apparent reason, The Children of Blood and Bone on my Kindle like three weeks ago. And then I saw that there was a sequel. So I was like, okay, I'll read that. And the reason I say there's no apparent reason why I read this. Number one, I couldn't come up with how I came to these books. Usually I start out the podcast by saying, oh, here's how I came to these books. I don't know. I think I just saw it on my Kindle when I was searching for books to fulfill uh, list items for that dumb reading challenge I do. The Book Riot Reading Challenge, which is dumb. I'm going on record there. And then I will never be doing that again. And then so uh, I somehow got suckered into these books. And I say suckered in because I don't like YA. Not that they're bad books, but I don't like YA. So the thing is I started reading them and I did like so many elements of them that I had to keep reading them. Um, So yeah, so that's how I came to the book, which is like a roundabout way of saying I I don't know how I came to the book. The two challenges that I'm trying to fulfill or were trying to fulfill for the... um, the book riot reading list was a YA book with a black character that's not about black pain. I failed miserably there. I tried to like shoehorn this book into there because I was like, oh, well, it's not about black pain. Like it's an it's a fantasy book. I'll get to what the book's about in just a moment. But like it's a fantasy book. So when they say black pain, I think the meaning is like actual real lived experience pain about pain that we have. Not allegorical pain, but like, you know, reading about something that has actually happened or based on something that has actually happened and the allegory is not um you know it's not like a based on true events it's more like allegorical that shouldn't count as black pain okay fine but then at the end of the book um the author writes in her author's note i shed many tears before i wrote this book many tears as i revised it and even as it sits in your hands now i know that i will shed tears again Although writing giant lion errors and performing sacred rituals might be in the realm of fantasy, all the pain, fear, sorrow, and loss in this book is real. Children of Blood and Bone was written during a time where I kept turning on the news and seeing stories of unarmed black men, women... Okay, so you get the point. So it, it, it felt as that, so it wasn't one of those. And then the second one... So that was the first book, The Children of Blood and Bone. But I don't care. I, I, I made it a list requirement anyway. I don't care what book Riot tells me to do. The second list uh list item was another YA novel and it needed to be a realistic YA book not set in basically the Anglosphere like UK America I think you could actually have it set in Australia but not the UK not America because those are overrepresented so I decided like all right well I'll just have the second book be that anyway even though it's set in a fictional land called Orisha um Lagos is the capital of it, and Orisha is the religion of the Yoruban, Yoruban people of Nigeria. So it's kind of sort of said in Nigeria. Maybe that one works a little bit better. Either way, I don't care. If this doesn't count as reading diversely, then I don't know what does. So, okay. Take that book right. All right, so anyway, what's the book about? 
So overall, you could say that basically there's this land, this um, fictional land called Orisha, and it's ruled by Kosidan. I don't know how to pronounce any of these terms, right? These are all hopefully made up words. Not actually, I know for a fact they're not. I mean, Orisha is not a made up term. Uh, I hope Kosidan is a made up term, but okay. So. The kingdom of Orisha is ruled currently, presently, when the novel is taking place by Kosidan, who are non-magical beings and who discriminate, persecute, and uh, set up an apartheid state for magi, who are magical beings. Alright, so book one, that is the Children of Blood and Bone, is basically about... Well, let's, let's talk about how the plot kicks off. There's a lot of characters, but here's how the plot kicks off in book one. Prince Amari's handmaiden, Princess Amari's handmaiden, is killed by her father, and uh, her handmaiden is a magi. She's killed by the princess's father, who's trying to eradicate magic. Uh, Amari flees the palace with a scroll that can bring back magic. That's how they discovered that the handmaiden was dangerous, because when she touched the scroll, like, uh, she suddenly just, you know, felt magic shoot through her. So Mari flees the palace, hurt that her father killed her friend and handmaiden. She was really close to her. And she bumps into Zeli and Tizane, who are villagers, and Zeli is a magi, and Tizane is just a regular Kosidan. And, uh, together these three try to bring magic back. Alright, that's the short summary. Uh, let me just hop in real quick before I get to book two and say... If you are concerned about spoilers, you should turn this thing off right now. I do not care about spoilers. I will be spoiling tons of stuff. I mean, tons of stuff because it's just too hard. Uh, and I'm not going to try to like tiptoe around things. So if, you, if spoilers bother you, turn this off. I haven't spoiled anything yet. Okay. Book two. Here's the first spoiler. Magic is back, but it's also created some unforeseen consequences. Namely, Titans have been created. And these are like half Magi's. You know, they have... What is it now? They can they they have magic, but it's not summoned through incantations, and it's kind of like bastardized, you know. So they're, um, and I say this as a half black, half white person. They're the mulattoes of the uh, of the magic world, kind of. I guess they'd be the Muggle Bloods or something like. Wait, is the Muggle Blood? You know what? I don't know enough about Harry Potter, nor do I care. So whatever they are. Um, they're all mixed up. I feel like Muggle Blood is what that means, but I can't remember. I read those books a while ago. Uh, and so that's like the beginning of book two, which is called The Children of Vengeance and Virtue and Vengeance. Okay. And then the plot is basically that the monarchy, which is now represented by the queen, because the king's dead. I told you there were going to be spoilers. The queen and the prince, Inan, who is Princess Amari's brother, they're the monarchy, and they are fighting the rebels, which are the Ayika, uh, represented by Zeli, who we already named, Tizane, who we already named, and Princess Amari. Okay, so that's what the second book is about. So there you go. So this is an epic, and yeah, you could compare it. Uh, the author has talked about drawing inspiration from Harry Potter. Uh, while I was reading it, I thought of N.K. Jemisin's um, The Broken Earth trilogy. And uh, as I often think about whenever I am doing anything, I thought about Star Wars. But I think that's a lot of people. Okay, so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, the point is it's an epic. It's a trilogy. You might be saying to yourself, well, if it's a trilogy, where is book three? And why didn't you read that before you did the podcast? First of all, relax. 
Secondly, uh, book three is not out yet, and from what I could do of research, which involved Googling two times, book three was supposed to come out in 2021. Actually, about two minutes before I started to record this podcast, I was like, okay, great, get your notes ready. Right, so the book's coming out in 2021, look forward to that. I completely forgot it's 2020, uh, or excuse me, it's 2021 already, and uh, this is not one of those like, oh man, hasn't the pandemic been crazy, um... I lost a whole year thing. This is just like, I write down the date every day as a teacher in a high school, and I still just couldn't remember what the date was. So not a not a tragic, like, uh, I'm dealing with trauma from the pandemic, more like a, I'm, I'm an idiot who can't remember what year it is. Okay, let's hop into what I liked about these novels. And, like, I want to be positive first, so I'm going to be positive. The things I don't like before I get to those, I'll just, you know, let me throw out a caveat here and just say, this is completely subjective and taste-based, right? My personal taste. So I will just say the first thing that I like then is that if you are going to read a young adult novel, you should read this young adult novel. This was as good as it gets. It was fantastic. And so here's the things that I like. I mean, to the point where I read 200 pages yesterday like when I should have been going to bed, so I didn't sleep as long as I uh, was supposed to have. So it, it, it's good, you know? Like I blasted straight through 200 pages yesterday from like post 9 p.m. until I absolutely had to go to bed. And then, yeah, I finished the book. Okay, so what do I like uh, more specifically? I love the love symmetry and the love triangle. So the love symmetry would be the fact that Zeli and Inan... That's Zeli, who's just a villager, but a Magi, and Inan, who is the prince, are, uh, you know, fallen for each other. And then Amari and Tizan, Amari, who's the princess, and Tizan, who is uh, just a villager, are falling for each other. And they're pairs of siblings. And um, it just kind of works. I like how it's, you know, each sibling doesn't like the other sibling being with that other person, you know, like... Amari, well, actually, Amari is the one who cares the least, but Zeli doesn't like Tazan, go, you know, having his nose wide open for Amari. Tazan doesn't like Zeli going after Inan. Inan and Amari are both um pretty ambivalent, actually. So, yeah, I guess I should retract that. Um, but Zeli and Tazan uh, don't care at all. And, uh, or excuse me, Zeli and Tazan care a bunch. Um, so that's a nice symmetry there. Uh, so I like that. And then the love triangle would be Rowan, who's uh, foreign to Orisha's lands. He has kind of... Actually, let's introduce Rowan with um, a funny little uh, description of of exactly what he looks like. Because I thought, you know, there's a lot to be made of uh, when a black person is described in a book um, in a way that we don't like. And that's fine. We, of course, that's completely... You know, there are very uncomfortable ways that black people are described in books. But I just thought this was an interesting... Specifically, I'm talking about something I saw a couple weeks ago on Twitter where someone was like, oh, you can't describe black people as food because somebody had said they were chocolate. But, like, I don't know. I just... So many black people would describe themselves as chocolate. Is that internalized racism or is it just the fact that chocolate's closer to your skin tone than, uh, than black? But anyway, here... Um, the author is writing about a person who's not from Orisha, but they have, like, not Caucasian skin. And through other descriptions, it definitely seems like the the writer's talking about somebody who's from um, non-Sub-Saharan Africa, that is, North Africa. 
but the fantastical version of North Africa. So anyways, uh, on page 8 in book 2, that is Children of Virtue and Vengeance, Rowan is described as, With skin like desert sand and eyes like teardrops, the mercenary always looks out of place in a room full of Orishans. Um, is it okay to say a person has skin like desert sand? I think so. I, I mean, obviously, I think it's fine. Um, I also think it's fine to say a black person looks like chocolate as long as it's not, like, weird. Again, all of these things are, like, in context, and uh, I think you have to consider what the person is trying to accomplish by describing it that way. Are they othering the person? Like, last week when we read the Nindio Orokafor, Okorafor book, um, I thought she was othering the Caucasian guy, but, like, I thought that was for an, an express purpose. Here... I think that it's just being made clear that this person is not from there, that they are foreign. I think that's different than necessarily othering them. Um, it's just the point that he sticks out as one of the only foreigners in the kingdom. So, you know, context is, as always, everything. Anyway, so that's Rowan, and he's kind of got a little thing going on with Zeli. So then it's Zeli, Rowan, and Inan. Now, there's not much conflict between Inan and Rowan, because there's already enough conflict in this in these two books without... Uh, the love conflict really coming into it. But maybe it'll come up later. Maybe it will come up later. Okay, so I like that. Um, then a small thing I like is the names of the animals. Uh, they're just slightly changed. So instead of a cheetah, you have a cheetah nair. Instead of a lion, you have a lion nair. And maybe that sounds silly out of context. But in context, I don't know, it's kind of great. You immediately can imagine what the animal looks like. But then you kind of add mystical elements to it yourself. Um, you know, it's kind of like a griffin or... What's another, uh, a Pegasus, or these these animals constructed out of different, uh, or multiple animals that we already have, uh, a unicorn, or whatever. It's nice, because in the cheetah nair, a lion nair, you kind of create your own unicorn, Pegasus, uh, what was the other one I said, a griffin, a minotaur, you know, you can kind of create your own thing in your head. I like that. And there's not, like, a giant description about it, either. She just writes in these names and you and it does the trick so I really liked that and then the number one thing I liked and here's what I was really excited about and mentioned to my my co-worker uh, about the book that I was reading I like that this is an all African story book one the children of blood and bone it's an all African story I mean even though Rowan's um North African he's African it's a, it takes place on the continent the, there are Yoruban gods there's a possible mixed metaphor allegory about like the Biafran independence, you know, between um, uh, Igbo people and, um, and, and Yoruban people. Uh, but the point is it's purely African. There's no European invading into African history. It, this, is, this is just a fantasy novel set in Africa. The same thing I liked about um, Marlon James's fantasy novel from a couple years ago, which the sequel's coming out next year, but the book was um, Black Panther, Red Wolf. No, Black Wolf, Red Panther. I'm messing that up. But the same thing, a, an African fant fantasy tale set in Africa, built off African legends. And the thing about this writer is that she, uh, like I said, is Nigerian-American and then graduated from Harvard and then went to Brazil where the Yoruban religion is still, uh, excuse me, Orisha is still um, practiced uh, more heavily because so many people in Nigeria are actually uh, Muslim or uh, Christian or uh, 
Christian and uh, Islamic, what he called that, a Chrislamicist. Um, so she actually went to Brazil and studied Orisha. I actually have on my wall a couple of uh, portraits of Yoruban gods, Orishan gods, that, uh, or I think Orisha might be a god himself. I, I didn't go to Brazil and study like this woman did. So, uh, But I, the, the artist who drew them is from Brazil. So I just thought that was a cool little connection for me personally. But anyway, uh, I loved all of that. You know, that was great. So that was nice and just exactly what I wanted. And I think that's what hooked me so much because I was like, okay, I'll read the first book. Cover really drew me in, looked great. Said it had, it was a black fantasy novel. Haven't read that many of those. Enjoyed Marlon James. I didn't love that it was YA, but we'll get to that in a second. But I was like, great, I'm hooked. Then I read the book and I was like, oh man. Even though it's YA, and I know I keep harping on that, but I'm sorry, it's just on my bag. It's got the Orisha thing going on. I love that. Let me go ahead and get a hold of book two. So then, you know, I, I was compelled to read book two. I thought I would be in and out. And now, even though book two, I didn't like it as much, uh, I will be reading book three. Because ultimately, everything I just said, the African story, the Urban gods, all of that, is enough to keep me coming back. All right, so what didn't I like? I, I prefaced enough of what I like. And I assure you that this is the best YA novel I've ever read. Um, but uh, that being said, what I didn't like is just that it's YA. And here's what I don't here's what I don't understand. There's in this book there's blood, murder, torture. There's carnage. I mean torture. Oh, the 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 Zelly gets the word maggot, which is a slur for magi, uh, branded into her back. I mean that's it evokes images of chattel slavery and any other horrible genocide carried out by any European colonial power on the continent. Uh, so that's as bad as anything you'll read in an adult novel. So there's that. Blood, murder, torture, carnage, sex. These are all adult, if not themes, adult events i don't know how you want to term that certainly adult content things that would be like hard for you to want you know like a person younger than 13 to read but if we are including all of those things why is this young adult at all then i mean if a person can read this book and understand those things that are happening and relate them back to history as they are supposed to do and even if they went through it and somehow missed all of that which I don't believe they could. I don't believe a four, let's say this book is aimed at 14 year old black kids. How could they possibly read this and not connect it back to uh, the Black Lives Matter movement that they see in their community all the time? Forget TV, in their community. Because, you know, one of the things that's always left out on TV is that these movements are part of the community. It's not just like something that happens on television. But anyway, the point just is why is this YA at all? I just don't understand why it's YA. Why not just have an adult book? And I and I get it. You know, one of the arguments would be, well, 14-year-old black kids need to read books that reflect them. But my argument is that I was a 14-year-old black kid. I would have just liked to have read a book that was written by a black person. And it, it, it could have been set in fantastical elements. You know, it could have been Samuel Delaney or Octavia Butler. I didn't know who they were at the time. Uh, but those books were written for adults, but like the genres maybe lend themselves a little bit more towards younger people, right? We're not getting into the whole sci-fi genre argument. I think just by writing a fantasy novel, it lends itself a little bit more towards younger people. I think you could give N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy to a young person who likes reading, who's black, and that they would get they would get it, you know? 
And the thing that separates N.K. Jemisin's trilogy and this trilogy, if you know, because both of them have all of these things in it, torture, carnage, sex. I mean, I remember in Broken Earth, there's the, what's, what's my man's name, Alabaster? I think that's his name. Uh, his all of his children are like they're basically matrixed, like they're all hooked up and they're they're just like batteries for the for the um, the empire that's in that novel. You know, there's that's really crazy imagery, but there's as crazy of imagery in here. You know, where they inject a person with magicite, which like kills their ashy, which is their like magic aura in their blood, kills it from the inside. It's as graphic as anything. So all that's really separated, separating it then is a certain tone and a certain writing style and a handling of subjects, even weighty subjects, that ultimately fills surface level, which is weird to say, as I just said, this book is a possible allegory and it definitely deals with all of the, the pain and stuff that we see every day on television or, or on the internet. So then how is it dealing with things uh, on a surface level? Well, let's go back first and say the tone and the writing style. And I'm going to use a phrase I really don't like. But on the sentence level, reading most of the time when I read a book, one of the things I like the most is when I find a single sentence that justifies the entire novel. Now, again, I already said I liked these novels. You know, I, I uh, am looking forward to reading the third book. But I think that if... if these themes are as serious as anything, then what, sep what has to separate this from a quote-unquote adult book is just the writing style. And I think, for me, I didn't have any point in reading these two books where I stopped and, like, highlighted a sentence, circled a sentence. I went back and checked, which usually happens, like something so well-written or so insightful that it happens. There's no way that this author is not capable of doing it. These books are fantastic. Uh, and fantastical. So I think that's like a conscious choice to write in this style for a younger audience. I mean, maybe all of this is obvious, but like I just hadn't unspooled this before in my head. And also because usually when you read YA books, at least in my experience, or when I've read uh, children's books or YA books, they're not as violent as this. Like this goes all the way there. So to me, it's like, why even hem it in with the writing style thing? Why not just go full barrels, just un unleash and go in all the way i'd like to see it you know like i'd like to see this novel written for an adult audience which maybe that's like like i said at the at the top that's very subjective and maybe that's horribly selfish and misguided but that's just what i want and then the handling of subjects even weighty subjects that ultimately fills surface level is probably an unfair criticism but there is an aspect of it that is just like here is the situation and here's why it's bad, or not even here's why it's bad. Here's a situation, and you can kind of get the allegory, but there's no deeper cultivation of what it means. Uh, we're kind of just left with this thing that mirrors something that happens in real life. And like, if a goal of a book should be, in my opinion, to ask a question, but not necessarily answer it, I don't know that this book asks that many questions and maybe that's putting more onto this book than I should be like maybe that's unfair but I think that might be the difference between YA and adult maybe the questions that a YA no novel raises have already been answered by the time you're in adulthood I would tend to disagree but I could be wrong about that all of this being said I don't think that there aren't books that you shouldn't read when you're younger like much younger 
and that even like books that you should read in your formative years, for instance, I, I read Catcher in the Rye way too late. I wouldn't call that a YA book, but you know, a book that you should read as a younger man, woman, person, and then other books, you know, don't have that. I think by and large, most books don't have that. I think that if you are 13 years old and you like reading, you're probably ready to read any book that's out there and you don't need books that are necessarily aimed at you. But I could be wrong. So whatever. Anyway, that's my my personal opinion. All right, just moving on. The other two, because I've harped on that long enough. The other two things I didn't, the other two things. Yeah, the other two things I didn't like. Uh, all right, so the middle one here is not that important, but I really don't like Zelly. It really bothers me a lot. And I don't like Inan either. And I think they're the two most annoying characters in the book. But this is um, less like I wish it was written differently and more like I, I literally just don't like these characters. Uh, but I, I enjoy reading about them and not liking them. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't want the author to redo this or something. It's not like that. It's more like I just don't like them as people. And I think you're supposed to sympathize with both of them. And I do in a way, but they still just both annoy me. I'm much more sympathetic and on team Amari and Tazane, although Amari really screws up in book two. I won't spoil that. How about that? One spoiler that you don't get. Uh, so she kind of fell out of my good graces there. But Zelly's just like always angry about everything. And she's got reason to be, but there are other characters who have experienced similar things who are not as angry as Zelly. She's like the angriest. And then Anon is just a milly mouth punk. Like he just doesn't get anything done. Nothing done. And I think that's the thing that bothers me the most about both of them. Neither of them really get anything done in as timely a manner as I would like them to, which is unfair. They're both like 18 or 19 years old and uh, struggling to find their way in the world. So perhaps that's also a function of not liking young adult novels. Uh, because I don't like them, I'm also annoyed by young people, my poor students. Okay, the last thing I don't like, and this is really truly the thing that I don't like, and actually like, I'm kind of dreading the third book for this reason is the ending of book two. So if you don't, again, this is the last spoiler there. I hate the end. I absolutely hate it. Uh, basically, like, er, the climax is happening. Everything's crashing around everybody. And then Rowan jumps in and is like, uh, Zelly put this mask on. She puts a mask on. And when she comes to, she realizes she's on the water. And it certainly feels like she's being whisked off uh, onto the middle passage and into slavery. And if this, and I haven't cursed the whole podcast, so here we go. If this fucking book turns into anything involving Europeans uh, invading into African history, even allegorically, I will be livid. Like specifically what I liked about this was it was on the continent. Obviously the author can write whatever they want. I'm talking about what I liked about the novel. So much of what we get, especially from black America, and a little bit from Africa and other parts of the diaspora, is history and history starting as, like, a result of contact with Europe. And, you know, it can be difficult to trace back our history. So, I understand it. But then when you have something like this, which is fantastical, it's, like, nice, you know? Not that I don't want to ever have white people in a novel or something, but we've got plenty of that. And this was nice to just have, like, in the same way that 
we, you know, I watched The Green Knight recently, um, and before that I had watched uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. I guess there was black people in King Arthur. But, you know what I mean, there was like one or two, you know, it was like, uh, whatever. There, there was a few, but mostly it was about, like, this part of European history. And I loved this as just, like, this part of African fantastical history. And it doesn't need to include any part of European history. Um, and if it does, it could include it in the same way that there was, like, a black person in England. It's like, oh, yeah, this person came because we used to have trade in Africa between Europe before the Portuguese started trying to kick off the slave trade. So I really hope that the novel doesn't take the direction of becoming anything like an allegory for the middle passage of slavery, because although the allegory of this novel works for things like the Nigerian civil war or um, different types of black pain, going against the edict of the book riot read harder challenge although it does do that it didn't specifically touch on anything for me personally and i'm not igbo or yoruba or i'm not part of the biafra independence movement so maybe this is selfish in general but it didn't touch on anything for me personally that i could really sink my teeth into the allegory and really come back to earth with it. So I was able to just see, I could, as I was reading both books, I could say to myself, this is an allegory in general for how different groups of people don't get along. It could be about how um, Sunni and Shiite Muslims don't get, get along. It could be about how the Balkans is really crazy and volatile. You know, the allegory could extend there. If this thing becomes about black people being taken out of their homeland, put on a boat, and traveling to a place and being controlled by white folks. It's going to be a little bit harder for me to switch the allegory away from black America or the diaspora in general. And that's just not what I wanted. But it doesn't make it not good. Because um, like I said, I blasted through these two books. I really did enjoy them despite all of my gripes there at the end. But I just had to come out and say what I what I felt, and that is how I felt. I will say this, and I'm making this commitment, and I I, I am fine with YA. Or, or if people read YA, I'm fine with them reading it. I've done this book riot challenge for the last couple of years now, and I'm done with YA. So after book three comes out, that'll be the last one I ever read, unless there's unless I get like. Uh, paid to review one or asked to review one in which case I think the person would be seriously disappointed with what I would do uh, so probably that won't happen but you never know I've reviewed other things that I didn't like but uh, yeah I won't I won't be voluntarily reading a YA novel after this and if I do it would have to be a very I mean it would have to be either by this woman Tommy Adeyemi Tommy Adeyemi I'm sorry and then Nindy Okor, for I both have liked their YA novels, but in general, just not for me. Just not for me. So, yeah. Uh, overall, though, if you are going to read YA, read this. It's fantastic. I love so many elements of it. I would say I'm more frustrated by the ending of book two than I am by anything about, like, whether or not I like YA. So, there's that. Okay, this is a bonus episode. And a long one. So, we're going to cut it there. And... We will be back next week 
with Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby, a book I've been trying to read for like two months and was putting it off, like I said last podcast, to get a physical copy, and that's just not going to happen. So I'll be reading it on the Kindle and talking about it, and yeah, I'm excited to do so. Until then, stay safe, stay black, and keep reading.